You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. After the seal, a chance here to win it. After the seal, scores! Kings win! What a game! What a night! And welcome, everybody, to another episode of On the Sly. Rob Render, Jim Fox. We are doing this in person. First time in a long time. It's nice to see your face not on a computer screen, back from a long road trip. How you doing? How's everything? I'm doing fine. Everything's great. I mean, it's been, we're kind of, and you know, I think everyone is afraid to say it because you feel you might jinx something, but we're kind of getting back to normal here. And, you know, being back on the road, it appears like right now, certainly in California, in the workplace, uh, masks are going away. Uh, of course, you're still concerned with a lot of things and making sure you're washing hands and, you know, all of that. But I think the same thing has followed through into the travel party. The NHL protocols are still there, but they're, you know, it's, it's getting a lot easier to, to get that feeling like we're back to normal right now. So that's, yeah. that's where we are. No the, doubt. Yeah. And even walking through the offices here, for me, for the first time without a mask in the practice facility, I thought to myself, wow, it feels normal. It's yeah. odd, and it's great. Yeah, you know, you're just, it is odd a little bit now, because, yeah. you know, I'm walking in and going, should I do, should, what should, oh, oh. <laughs> and then now you're kind of realizing that everyone looks like uh, it's getting back to normal. So that's something that's, uh, that's fun on the road. Hugely successful road trip as we as we record this. So um, that had I'll, to be fun, by the way. I'll just you know like the Columbus game. Uh, I think that I think there's eight to ten moments during a season where, you know, turning points. Are you coming out of a down part and going up? Are you improving? Are you going back? Are you taking a step backward? I thought that the Columbus, you know. After two periods, I was watching the body language of the Kings, and it just did not look good. They they just allowed three goals in under a minute, and it was like, whoa. And, and the previous game, Dallas, near the end of the second period, two goals. So it was a chance where, uh-oh. And then I talked to some people about, you know, Trent Yanni, who was taking over at coach at the time, Alex Iofalo. What did they discuss in the intermission in the second? And again, it was... It surprises a lot of people. It has changed. It used to be yell and scream and get mad. No. You go in, you analyze, you're still in the game. What do we need to do to get back? And so they're down two, they're down three to one at the time. What? Do, so all the discussions were, this is what we did really good early in the game. Let's get back to doing that. Alex Iofalo talking about how the Kings group this year seems, he said, communi- they communicate more than any group he's been around here in the last three or four years. So they're talking, line mates, players feeling more comfortable sharing their opinions and ideas. So they came out into the third and they didn't, do- they probably dominated more in the first than they did in the third, but they found a way. They, you know, they tie it up, you go into overtime, you win, all those types of things. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to go offside here, Yeah, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, I don't want to take it there, but. I guess we might have. So to. since you did play in overtime 
where Columbus goes in and scores a goal that winds up going to review, overturn. The Kings wind up winning that game in Columbus. What happened, Jim? Yeah, that's it's um, it's certainly the biggest faux pas I've made. It didn't like again. Um, what happened was okay. Overtime, Columbus ends up scoring the goal, and I I can go through the process when it happened when they entered the zone. I went on a talk back, which is a button I can press and the producer and director can hear me and it doesn't go over the air. And I said, potential offside. So this is before the, we even knew it was going to be reviewed. So I thought it was close and I could see Boone Jenner near boards dragging his leg to stay onside. Now we know the rule has been changed. He doesn't have to be touching the ice, but still, you can still go offside even when you're dragging your leg. And I, I was focused on him. Anyway, he ended up scoring, but then they, then they, I think kind of both teams knew right away. Of course, it's overtime, and Columbus celebrated, but no one went back to the locker room. And I think it only took about 10 or 15 seconds for both teams to realize. And then Merzlikens, the goaltender, actually probably a minute before it was announced, he skated back into Columbus's net. Ah, they knew. So he he got some, you know, both teams' coaches. At that point, it's not a coach's challenge because it's overtime. It goes automatically to Toronto, and they automatically review it. So anyway... We go, and I'm identifying who I thought the player that was offside. And I just I just got focused on Boone Jenner. And Zach Wierenski was the guy who was offside. And I went over replay, replay, replay. And I, I thought it was offside. That's the reason I alerted the truck. But when they announced the announcement, no goal, offside. We still, I'm saying, well, you know, it's so close. When yet replays we finally got from the NHL showed clearly it was Wierenski. By that time, the play's starting again. You don't, you know, we score, we win. Finally had a chance. And, and this is where on Twitter, this is where I do get help a lot of times. People were saying it wasn't, it wasn't Jenner, it was Wierenski. I completely zoned out. I, for whatever, I was so focused on Boone Jenner that I just, even though it was right there in front of me, I, I was misidentifying who the player that was offside. And, um, it didn't affect, it didn't affect the, the game, so to speak, as far as the Kings won. Right. And they came back to win, and that made it all. But, you know, I just, I just felt awful. I just felt, you know, when you – it brought me back to my days when I was a player. And when you are solely responsible for a goal, there's so many dominant, domino effects in any goal against that happen. You know, you can go back 10 plays and probably find the start of the fall. And – but I, it brought me right back to my days as a player. Even though we won the game, as a broadcaster, you analyze and evaluate the job you did differently than you were as a player. Because at the end of a game, as a player, you win or you lose Sure, as a team. And that can really affect. So it brought me back to the days when, you know, I was solely responsible for a goal that cost us a game. And I was just devastated that I... Well, how did I miss that? I couldn't. I just couldn't. But to back you on this a little bit, you and I were discussing this before we started recording. The Columbus broadcast, which I didn't hear, they did the same thing you did, they, right? You know, because Boone Jenner, who was trying to stay onside, he was dragging his leg. He appeared to be more worried than Wierenski, who didn't appear to be worried at all and ended up being off. But that's, and that's all good. And I was happy to hear that. I know Derek Armstrong on our post game show with Patrick mentioned, yeah, he thought it was the same guy. I, 
Jody Shelley and Columbus's, they all thought the same thing I did, but it still doesn't take away the fact that, you know, I, I misidentified that player. And it was on the replays we finally got from the NHL, it was clear. And I was still stuck on this Boone Jenner guy. Great name. It is a great name. <laughs> so, great player, too. Very yeah, nice player. So I, I just, and I, I, I was devastated. I was just, now, what helped me sleep that night was the fact that the Kings won. Sure. And okay, then you can, you can go and, and figure, you know, you can feel good about something, but it's not the same as a player. As a player, you can make a mistake and win and still feel okay. As a broadcaster, I think you evaluate yourself differently, and, and the win or loss is not as big of an issue. Right. Uh, and I just, I just, so. Well, if I could tell so you. So I'm, here, I'm hearing from it now. I'm hearing from like people that hang around before practice. Tom McClellan, <laughs> you know, in one of the media inter- interviews, he gave me a little shot at the end. He had the volume down, but were you ever rewinding? Yeah. To see something? Yeah. I rewound on the offside call. <laughs> we already discussed that for half an hour. I did rewind it because I'm going, Foxy's, and I'm going, not him, no Foxy in the middle. Again, we can laugh. You can laugh specifically because the Kings won. Right. But that just means they like you, though. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I'm going, I'm going and racking my, how the heck did you miss, like, I didn't miss the offside. I might have been the first guy to see the offside. Right. But I'm, I was focusing on the player that was not the guy that was offside. So, Well, two things. If I could tell you about all the times I have messed up on the air and probably felt horrible for a month, I'm right there with you. That's broadcasting. Yeah. yeah. Doing live this, broadcasting. This was the, my biggest faux pas. Well, if that's your biggest, it's not the worst thing in the world. I think it's okay. And then the second thing about this is maybe the officials, this is something that I've thought about for a long time. NFL officials are, do a nice job of describing what they're looking for in replay. Maybe the official who comes over and puts the microphone on and makes the announcement to the crowd on TV can say number blank was offside. Yeah. You know, you know what? Would help. If that would have happened that night, I still would have. I was <laughs> so focused on I would have. It's uh, you know, I, I thought that the, the explanation, that the more in-depth they can get, I think they spe- – offside wouldn't be the area. Again, the goaltender interference, those types of things where I'd like to see. Okay, number seven in white was directly shoved into the goaltender, and that's the reason we felt. Or he was shoved in into the blue paint, and it was incidental contact, so that's why we're going to allow it. Just that would be help. But, uh, and I think the, the NHL on their post-review emails they send out are starting to get better that way. A lot of times they just – give you the rule number and quote the rule without saying number seven, number eight, number who was responsible. Well, 44 Kings shoved the blue jacket in and that's why we're going to allow the goal, you know, more specifics like that. And uh, or, or even like they do again in the NFL. I, know I shouldn't be comparing things to the NFL, but the official will come over when they're going to do a replay review of any kind and say we are reviewing for offside to play. Maybe they can say we're reviewing uh, for offside number whatever. No, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. In this instance, no, I'm not blaming anyone so. else. This was me. This was 100 percent right. me. So that's not no. I they do. They came over and said we're reviewing for offside. They didn't say who. It doesn't matter who is as long as it is or is it isn't. That's all we need to know. It doesn't matter who. Well, like you said. Worst things have happened in the world. <laughs> they got the win and finished up this great 3 and one trip with a phenomenal overtime victory in Boston, which, as I mentioned to you as well before we started recording, I even said this to Jesse when it happened. The, the call from Alex, I thought, was fantastic. Phenomenal. Both yep. of you guys, but specifically his play-by-play that night, I thought was great. And that call, you felt this 
impassioned energy come through. And you know, as a listener, and certainly as somebody who does play by play, when it's real and when it's manufactured. And I thought that call was real. And it, Jim, it signified to me, and maybe this has taken it too far. I'd like your perspective on this. It signified to me almost like this is the momentum swing in the season. You talked about that. There's certain times in the season when they left Boston, it felt different. Yeah, it, it did because of the opponent. Because Boston is really good and respected for their structure, which the Kings are respected for too. So when the Kings got whacked 7-0 a week earlier against Boston, they were very disappointed because they felt they were playing a team in the mirror. Like, this is us. And they just kicked our butt. I mean, two-point conversion would have been needed uh, to beat them that night. Uh, that's That is that game built there were three or four times during that game where i thought boston was just ready to take over and then the kings got it back and then started to get you know in the third i thought the kings approach was excellent again we don't talk a lot of kings on this one but maybe it, i go back to the columbus because that's when i thought they were at their their lowest if i can say yeah they just, it looked like oh oh if they lose this one then how do you repair it? And there still would have been 26 games left in the season, enough time. But I think you start reeling in your own head. Uh, I think the Boston is a it, it's a it's a way to catapult yeah. forward a if you can. Bad, yeah. Now we're concerned with injuries. That's happening right now as we speak. So how will that? You know, depth is being tested right now. So that'll be important. To Alex, again, uh, Alex's call, in my opinion, on goal calls, there's no one better in the league. That's my opinion. I have, I have no problem. I think his, and you know what? A lot of it is God-given in that his voice, he doesn't need to scream or shout. He doesn't. There are some that do, and that's fine. They make a great they do a great job describing a very exciting moment. Mm. I just think Alex has enough power in his voice that he doesn't have to scream or... Yes, he elevates the volume, right? Sure. But it's just more... But I, I think his goal calls. I remember Kopitar's goal. I think it was his fourth goal in Colorado. This is going back a couple of years. Right. And I just thought it was just... Alex just was... That's, that's when he's at his best. And I guess if you're an announcer... You want to be at your best when the goals are right. scored. How did this one compare to the Toffoli goal? Bobatar on the draw. And he wins it back. Toffoli oh, scores! No way! Oh my! No way! This With no time remaining! As an analyst, I had more participation in the Toffoli goal because it happened so quickly and it was so surprising. We'll never see that again. I mean, <laughs> never say never. Yeah. It just, everything had to go, and I think that was part. So on this one here, uh, the last one in Boston, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a breakaway, even though FNCU's speed created the separation. The buildup was, you know, Alex is able to call, call, call. Yeah, and then the goal, and then after, and what he, how he summed up the the goal, the game, and the road trip with his call, and that's you know the Toffoli one. I think I was able to jump in more because hopefully because the moment fit that more so, where you're just not going to see this 
Yeah. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you. I remember Alex, I think post game, we did a comment and he said something like, well, I thought this was going to, I thought it was a possibility. And I, I actually, I pretend we were on camera and I walked off. I'm like, I'm going, what? That's a, the biggest <laughs> bunch of bull I've ever heard in my life. You thought, no, nobody thought with yeah. 0.4 seconds, it's going to go in the net. Nobody. And it did. And we were watching it the other day again because we were back in Boston. And you can't. Oh, I know golf analysts will say on that chip shot that he chipped in. 99 times out of 100, he, he would never. Well, this one is going to bigger odds. For yeah. Kopitar to hit the face off like he did. For it to go directly to, to Foley, who didn't have to move an inch, who had already started his backswing and started to go forward and hit it perfectly, where it almost took the net off when it went in. I mean, that that was awesome. That's once in a lifetime, if I can say it. There you go. And this was great, too. Maybe it doesn't compare, but it was great in its own regard. So speaking of Tyler Toffoli, we're going to talk a little bit of trade deadline on this show. There's only a couple of weeks left before the deadline. And I want to get into Toffoli specifically here in just a few minutes. But I do want to ask you, and we're not here to break down or, or be the Elliot Friedmans of, uh, of the podcast world on the Kings. We're not trying to uh, give any ideas of who might be traded or talk about who is traded. But what I do want to get to is the idea of what it's like for a player around trade deadline time, whether it's a player who thinks they're going to be dealt or just a player on a team who's concerned about his teammates being traded away. When you played, and again, we're talking about two weeks now until a major deadline comes, how concerned yeah. were you around this time that either you would be traded or one of the teammates you'd like to be traded? I, I was, I don't, I'll be honest with you, in the moment, I don't think you're that concerned about teammates leaving. I don't think you give a lot of thought into chemistry being affected. I think in that moment, you're thinking about you and the possibility of what's going to happen with you. I think your stature or status of you on that team changes how you might feel about it. If you're a top dog, I don't think there's very few trades that are made that involve, you know, big pieces because if you take a big piece away, then you need to add it. It's, you have to fill it again. It's just very difficult. So I think you're looking for support players, right? Or you're looking for teams that are at a different, they're at a different timeline than your team, meaning they're rebuilding so they can get rid of maybe veteran players. But in the back of your mind, I think if you're not the top, top, top players on the team, and I wasn't, I think you're thinking, am I going to be part of the deal that, that bring, am I going somewhere? Yeah. And that is concerning. My wife and I have been married 41 years, 40, no kids. So we didn't have that concern. So that's another issue that I didn't have to worry about. I think that there are players that have kids and that's probably your first, you know what? They're, they're not going to move school at this time. They're going to stay. They're going to stay. Your, your wife's going to stay with the kids at, at, in the city that you were traded from. They're not going to move right now, but you know, you're going to be going into the most important part of the season and your life has been disrupted, your family life. And can you maintain the focus necessarily? You know? And I think that's leading us to, which I think we see more and more now as the Tyler Toffoli, deals made 
prior to the trade deadline. And well, we might be getting there right now, two weeks out. Like that's not waiting until the exact deadline day or a couple of days. So doing it earlier. And I think most GMs and coaches now are doing it because they've done a deeper research into the chemistry effect. And they're feeling we need more time for the group to come together if there is a change in personnel. And, and they're thinking ahead a little bit more that way. Do you think they also do it, to your last point, also for the player? Because they want the player to be comfortable moving. You think it matters to them? I think it does, yes. I think so. I think they want... So the player himself has to deal with it, and then the team has to adjust to the addition or subtraction. And I think teams are... I'll bring it to the Kings right now without to get specifics, is... Are the Kings in, in a position right now to make a Jeff Carter or Marion Gabbert deal? Self-evaluation of the Kings. Do they believe they are a true Stanley Cup contender? Mm. If they do, then they go ahead and bang, go for the home run. If you don't, still might make a move, especially because of the, the injuries they're going through right now especially because they're in a playoff spot right now. But I don't think it's the home run. I, I think it's a different type of analysis that you're looking for to help your team. Different reason. Uh, I, I bring up the story a billion times. Mm. Before 2012 started, I was asked, and I said, I don't think the Kings are favorites, but if they win the Stanley Cup, I would not be surprised. So they were in a position. I thought it was the best roster they've ever had. Do I have to say it this way? Apologies to the current group. I don't see that yet. Certainly see the growth and the development and the improvement. But uh, I think there are so many different levels to trade. My tenure with the Kings, I was a constant, basically. I remember when Phil Seiss got traded from the Kings. He was my best friend on the team. I was devastated. Mm. Now, by the time the next game comes, you, you, that's kind of gone, right? But uh, I'll be honest, if I felt, didn't have kids, my wife and I, when new players came to our team, we were able to be part of a, a welcoming group or party, maybe more so than guys who have kids and they got families, they got other things to worry about. And I think I did that. And then when that when Phil got traded, I don't know if it was a conscious thing or I just kind of said, which I guess I was saying it in my own head, so consciously, I just I just didn't become friends as easy with new teammates as I did in the past because I didn't want to be heartbroken when they left. Wow! And I felt the best way to handle that was to not get attached. So when the detachment happens, you're not devastated. And I think for the rest of my playing career, I kind of was like that. I just was not as, I want to say I wasn't as welcoming, but I didn't put as much effort into nurturing a relationship, a friendship with players. Which is actually teams. the opposite of chemistry then, right? If people don't want to get attached and you don't become that cohesive group, it sort of takes away from it, doesn't it? And that's where I think the GM gets worried and again, I'm going to talk about, I've mentioned it before, but I think it's better. Dean Lombardi, who, again, I just, I cannot say 
how much I have learned from him. Before the San Jose series in 2014 started, before the playoffs started, we got to the hotel, and I asked Dean about the Gabaric acquisition. 45 minutes later, he was ending what he his explanation on how many layers of research, people they talked to, and and did he fit as a player? Did I was I was amazed at how much work went into that. So that shows you how much they that chemistry. There is the player, there is the tactics, there is the skills, and then there is how does he fit in. And to me, with Dean, that was as big of a part, if not bigger, than does he fill a hole. Uh, and I think that that's the way it is right now. And, of course, with the Carter and Gabrick, that was, you know, trade deadline and those, those one Stanley Cups. And maybe that's why, going back to Tyler Toffoli, the Flames in this case this year thought, this is our perfect guy. He fits the mold in that our coaches coached him. Daryl Sutter's had him winning Stanley Cup here. He's got teammates in Calgary that have played with him here, whether it's Lucic and there's others on that roster. Um, and he's what we need on the ice. Yeah, and so, but you're, to your point, the first two points you brought up were not the ice, not on ice. And that's what I think they put a lot more thought. They being coaches, GMs, they put a lot more thought into what you're talking about. That chemistry issue um, – and again, again, it's how how close do you think you are? Right. And that And he's a player with term yeah. that they can keep for a little yeah. while too. Like Jim Rutherford, hard. who is now back in the in the mold with Vancouver in a higher position. But he was known when it's Pittsburgh, he would go for it. Yeah. I mean, he'd be swinging, he'd be the guy I guess that every GM would call just to see. But and that's a personality issue, but I, I assume Jim Rutherford has his own boxes that need to be filled like Dean did and uh, did and you keep filling those boxes until you get enough. And speaking of Jim, so he was in a position, and there's lots of examples of this. Back with the Penguins in 2013, if you want to go back that far, they were playing well. They wound up making a trade where they, or multiple trades, as a matter of fact, where they bring in three new players, including Jerome McGinley, who was a veteran at that point and was on the tail end of his career. But they shook up their roster. They wound up getting eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. Again, that's just one example but there probably is a concern oh. about we, we can add too much here. We could do too much. No question. And, uh, you know, Brian Burke has probably been the most outspoken. He's back in Pittsburgh now along with Ron Hextall. But he's, you know, he says it's, it's stoop week when you get to the, you know, the mm. last five days of trade. Like you make the stoop. He stays away from that. And he's not afraid of t- that's when you make your worst decisions. But uh, in analysis, of course, because only one team wins the cup every year. You know, it's it's so far. The negatives probably outweigh the positives, just you know, dramatically. Now, now you have the rental, which yeah. we really didn't have when I played because you didn't have free agency and the whole things. You didn't have a salary cap, so uh, you have a rental player. Does he have term left? Uh, those are two big things happening. Um, I would assume if the Kings are thinking about something, it would be more of the term remaining as opposed to. What deal can we make to get in the playoffs? Um, the, the good part is that we're having this discussion and that the Kings are in a position right now. They're still along with 24 games as we're sitting now. Yeah. The depth, we just chatted with Tom McClellan. The depth will be tested. And 
Right now, as we're speaking, Arvidsson's going to be out. What's been the What's been the biggest difference on the Kings this year? Second line scoring. Well, what's been a huge positive? The play of young defensemen who hardly have any NHL experience and how well the Kings have done goals against average, how they're doing, how they're shutting down. Well, now that's going to be tested again. It looks like Mikey Anderson's out. Is there a chance to come back? Uh, but uh, impressive. But yeah, that's yeah. It's it's a it's not a fun time. Everyone will tell you that. I, I, I'm trying to think of specifics. I, I just remember. And Phil was Phil wasn't an impact player, right, on our team. He, he, was was a, he was a role player. He was my best friend on the team at the time. Did you ever get scared of it, though? Were, were you ever worried to the point where oh, you're, yeah. like, you're nervous I, at night? My, my head, if I could shut off my brain, it would help me in a lot of different <laughs> ways. Uh, and, and, it, and it again, a mental coach, which I did see when I was playing, would have helped. And what you learn is you've got to slow down your brain. You've got to slow it down. I wasted so much nervous energy on game days and before game that I can't imagine. I could have scored a thousand goals if I would have just went into, hmm. <laughs> and that's that's a negative. Sure, I'm not mentally tough. I was not mentally tough. I went to see. I went worked with a sports psychologist. Tried to get more mentally tough. Uh, I think you can learn it. I think experience is the best way. Again, going through, but I didn't go through a lot of playoff series, so I didn't have that opportunity to, to do that. But uh, it's. Uh, it's something that it was like when I retired, it was interesting. I would see a GM on the road or something as a broadcaster now and talk. Oh yeah. We were thinking about getting you in, in, you know, in 84 there, you, we, we thought, or, or even some coaches. Yeah. We thought about, you know, but it, it never did happen. Did they ever right? say what they were going to give up for? Well, you? <laughs> you know, I think the one deal was, it was with Pittsburgh and it was, uh, I think it was Mary Lemieux. Oh, and, right. Uh, yeah. yeah that type of thing. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Straight up. Straight up. They were straight up for Mario. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a fair deal yeah. uh, for the Kings. Since you guys weren't very good most of those years, as you said, and so there was a chance they were going to trade people away. Did anybody on your team, even a friend, uh, come up to you and say, hey, God, I hope they trade me. I hope they get me out of here. Huh, that's a good point. Yeah. You know what? I think if you have that thought, you don't really share it with anyone. But I think you can tell. I think you can tell. And then there are the times when players ask for trades, and it still happens. Team we just played, Jake DeBrusque asked early in the season with the Boston Bruins. It wasn't going well for him. Now he's on the top line. Will that change? Uh, uh, Tarasenko in St. Louis, same thing. You know, so does it as the season goes on? You know, you request for different reasons, differing reasons. Are you are you behind someone? You think you should be playing more? Should, you know, are you being held back financially? If you're somewhere else, can you get more money because they need this? Uh, a lot of uh, different reasons. But I think you can tell. Yeah. You can tell. And again, I think one of the biggest reasons for the lack of success during the years I played was uh, the changing of the roster every year. They changed half the roster every year. Even in years we did well, sure. we come back the next year with a, half the team brand new. Yeah, You don't get a chance to, to build that chemistry. One last thing on this, and then we'll move on. When someone is traded to your team, and again, I, it's, it's hard for a team that isn't great. But if you were on a team that's expected to either contend or is on the way toward that direction, does it really give you energy when a new guy is added and he's really good? Oh, and yeah. It helps you guys a lot? Does, oh, yeah. does that, is that a real thing? Oh, it's a real thing. And energy, especially at this time of the season, is primo. You're, you're, you know, the Kings are doing three and four and six, maybe three times this month. 
energy and how you find it. And get, yes, you have to be motivated, right? Look at your paycheck every 15th and 30th and you should be motivated because you're making, you're compensated. But no, you're a human being. You need, yes. Oh, that does. It, it gets, it gets you going. It gets things happening. It, it gets you thinking about the potential for success and what gives you energy. Now you believe that you have a chance. And the front office believes in you, for, right? Yeah. And the thing, it's the same thing when they, when they say some teams tank to get a higher draft pick. GM might, coach might, players don't. You know why? They don't want to lose your gig. <laughs> if your team gets first overall, that's one player that's going to be above you next year and you might not have a spot anymore. So you're not thinking about that. You're not thinking about tank. You're not thinking, you're just thinking about playing. GM coach, I think sometimes they want to position the franchise, and I don't have a lot of problem with that. I think it's the reason they would do that was longer-term success. Um, but that's what it, it is. It's a it's a tough part of a season. It is a tough. It, it's it's tough to go through. I I think it it's getting easier and easier. The more attention given to it every year, and now the media is, I think it it helps it. It allows you that you've been through it before. And I've heard everyone. So what I'm saying now, I don't think I'm telling anyone anything new, but I've heard many, many players now, ex-players asked about this, and the answer is always the same. Oh, yeah, you're you're thinking about it. It's on your mind. It's on your mind. It's amazing how it's changed, though, as you said, from the time when you were playing, when there was no internet, there was no Twitter. I think a lot of guys are finding out they got traded via social media before the GM even calls them up to the office. Uh, it's amazing what these guys like Elliot Friedman and others can do as far as breaking information very quickly. And uh, also amazing about it and fascinating is that it's such a fun time of year for the fan because they're thinking about the potential of what a deal can do either to add to their team or even you know, built for the future, whereas the player is so nervous. Such a different dichotomy between the two. Yeah, on broadcast, I don't talk a lot, a lot about it because yeah. specifically I feel my job is to bring a player's perspective. And I don't think players want you talking about that. Yeah. Oh, you thought I should be traded? Oh, you thought No, 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 that? not that. It's just... I asked John Stevens, who was head coach here one time, and said, you know, anything you want me to stay away from, you know, just, and he said, yeah, don't talk about possible trades. And I, I didn't previous to that, but since he was new here, I was just trying to get the new coaches. What, did he have any priorities? Did he have any, and I, I thought, okay, you know, I, 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 I kind of agree with that. I do agree that it, that fans should take the interest they do. And I love that they do it. But I'm, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Sure. I'm looking at it from a guy who went through it, who was nervous about it, and now is commenting on players that are nervous about it. And I just don't, I don't want to bring it up unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, that's fair. And that usually for me is when it happens. That's when I'll bring it up. Shocked, by the way, as you look back on your playing career that you never left, that you spent the whole time here? Good enough where the Kings wanted me, not good enough where anyone else did. <laughs> Well, except for Pittsburgh, that Lemieux deal yeah, was always Lemieux. on yeah, the exactly. table. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, that's a, it, it's a fascinating topic. I think Ron Francis was also included in that. Yeah, well, why Francis not throw him Lemieux. in? Yeah. That's almost like what the Penguins pulled off with, with the Whalers to get Francis and uh, for the Cullen deal, right? That uh, helped win him a, a couple of Stanley Cups. Well, again, it, it's a fascinating time of year, and I know there's a lot of fan interest in trades, and yeah, I think and that was a really good I love that. Yeah. I it, love that. And it builds, it builds our sport. It does. But – I just, I'm trying to bring the player's perspective. Yep. So that's why I kind of downplay it. 
All right, that'll wrap it up, our On The Sly episode. That was fun, and it was good to do it in person again. Nice to see your face, not through a computer screen. I always enjoy that. So thanks for coming in. Merci beaucoup. There you go. He speaks other languages, too. This man is so talented. Which is no idea. <laughs> for Jesse. Dr. Shane. Who's over here, by the way. We didn't even say hi to him Arigato. on the air, but uh, he's there. And that's Jim uh, speaking uh, all the different languages he knows, saying goodbye or hello. Who knows? I'm Rob. Bye. Aloha. Aloha.